been looking on Sunday mornings at the grace of God and especially the contrast between uh, the Old and New Covenants. The Gospel of John says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we're looking at the the differences between the Old and New Covenant, and especially uh, as it relates to uh, God's grace. Um, Before we look at our text, uh, this Easter Sunday is April 5th, and I would like for us to just have two or three days of renewal. We'll call this uh, spring renewal time. And that'll be April, uh, Wednesday, April 1st, uh, Thursday, April 2nd, and Friday, April 3rd, which is Good Friday. And we will end our uh, three-day renewal time with a Good Friday service and communion service. So that will be April 3rd, 1 through 3. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is April 5th. So if you keep those dates in mind... Uh, that's the direction we'll plan to go, and I hope you can join us for those three nights. It'll be 7 p.m., and I think we're planning to do it here at the Fieldhouse. Hebrews chapter 4 gives us one of the many contrasts between the Old and New Testament. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin. So let us then draw, uh, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, that this uh, the the screen doesn't show the whole context here, or even other thing we read. But he's been talking about the differences between the two priesthoods, and he's about to share with us and give to us the superiority of the New Testament priesthood of Jesus. And if you'll notice. This may be a familiar text to you in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Uh, And then verse 13, no no creation is hidden from His sight, but everything is naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we give account. This... This is the background of the uh, sheep in the Old Testament that is brought for sacrifice. Uh, and you may uh, be aware of this, but in, when they would bring a sheep for sacrifice, uh, the high priest would take the knife and cut the sheep into pieces. <clears throat> You'll notice he says the word of God is like a is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can cut even joints and marrow. Maybe uh, I'll just turn over here real quick and read 
This is Leviticus and chapter 1. Leviticus and chapter 1. It says, uh, verse 11, He shall kill it on the north side where the sheep or goats bring a male without blemish and then kill it and Aaron's sons the priest then shall put the blood on the altar and cut it into pieces. He shall cut it into pieces and arrange it on the altar. So, so, this, so the sheep is brought, laid on the altar, and there's a, the word here in verse 13 of Hebrews 4 when it says everything is naked and open. The word open is the Greek word trachea. It's, it's the neck area. So we are, we are like before the Lord as sheep that has been laid on the altar and everything is exposed and open, ready to be sacrificed, and the sword is about to do its work. And so you would think that picture is not a good invitation to go to God in prayer. <laughs> I mean, if that's the way we appear, why would we go to God in prayer? But then he follows it by saying, therefore, let's go boldly to the throne of grace. It's like, what? <laughs> Why would I want to do that? So what he is doing here is he is showing us the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, the old priesthood and the new priesthood, because the reason we can now come not like they did in the Old Testament where you were naked and open as symbolized by that sacrifice of the sheep. But now you have a new high priest. And he is not detached, going through the daily ritual of killing sheep. But he is the son of God and the son of man and he, is, he understands everything we're going through in our humanity. He feels it. He knows it. He's sympathetic with it. And he's, he will adjust things for us. And he will help us. Uh, a lot of times, you won't have anybody who will understand what you're going through. Even parents. Even husband or wife. But Jesus will. He knows all things and he understands exactly and precisely the pain. He, uh, he knows the secrets and he knows the failures and he knows the details. So he's telling us that we have a different kind of high priest. We have a great high priest, verse 14, who's passed through the heavens, not one on earth, Jesus, the Son of God, not a son of Aaron. So we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but in every respect has been tested, tempted as we are, but without sin. That phrase, without sin, I think is significant. Because the Old Testament high priest, his name was Aaron. He wasn't exactly exemplary. And I, I jotted down this passage in Exodus 32, verse 3. It says that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they came into the uh, uh, wilderness, and in, in the wilderness, 
Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, and what did the children of Israel do? The first thing they did, they made a golden calf. Well, how did they make this golden calf? Well, Exodus 32, verse 3 says that they took off the rings of gold and all the things that they had, and they gave it to Aaron, the high priest, and he melted it down, and he's the one who made the golden calf. So he led them into idolatry. So as a high priest, he was not that qualified. He was not a good example. And here's, but here's what it says, that we have a high priest who sympathizes, he's deeply connected to our humanity, but without sin. That is, he's deeply connected to the divinity, to his heavenly Father. He's the Son of God and without sin. So he connects us to heaven and to earth, to God and to man. But the surprises in this passage, and I've, I've listed three of them here that just sort of came to the surface when I was looking at this, that, that he brings out right in the beginning is, uh, here's surprise number one. I want to give you three surprises that I found that got my attention. The first surprise that came here was that we are actually invited to come to the throne for prayer. Now, I think this is a little bit like breathing air. We're so used to it, we take it for granted, we don't even think about it. But what did it cost to get the privilege of prayer? Looking at the Old Covenant, here's a verse... In uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 21, God says of the prince of Israel, He says, I will cause him to draw near, and then he will approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me? Who would dare to come, declares the Lord. And then Exodus 19, in verse 10, when they came out of Egypt and went to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and get ready on the third day. For the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits. This is Exodus 19, verse 12. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying... Take care that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Well, that's not exactly seeker-friendly. Hey, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever wants to live, better stay away. That seems to be the thrust of it. Or Numbers chapter 3, verse 38, when they set up the tabernacle, only the high priest could go in, and here's what it says. Those that encamp before the tabernacle, Numbers 3, 38, shall be Moses in front of the tabernacle and Aaron and his sons, keeping the charge of the sanctuary. And if a stranger comes near, he shall be what? Welcomed? <laughs> Put to death. A stranger means a Gentile. If you had come to the tabernacle 
and attempted to go in to pray, you would have been executed as a Gentile. Well, what has happened? What has changed? So here is a surprise in the new covenant. That is, we are invited to come in. Do you remember the veil when Jesus died? The veil was torn open. That means whosoever will may come. Yeah, now. This is the change of priesthood. This is the change of covenant. The law came by Moses, John chapter 1 says, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that's, that's, a, that's a surprise. Here's another surprise. Is that the throne of God is called a throne of grace here. You see that in, in verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, looking at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Remember that the Old Testament is part of our Bible, but the Old Covenant is an age that passed away with the coming of Christ. And in the Old Covenant, as, as referenced in the Old Testament, the, the throne of God is never called a throne of grace. But rather, the throne in the Old Testament, Proverbs 20, verse 8, is called a throne of judgment. In Jeremiah 14, 21, it's called a throne of glory. And in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the throne, he saw it, the angels around it crying, Holy, holy, holy. And he, by seeing the throne, he cried out, I am undone. I am a sinful man. And he fell on his face and he said, I'm ruined. That was the throne of judgment, throne of holiness, throne of glory. But in the new covenant, through this new high priest, Jesus Christ, he's turned the throne of judgment into a throne of mercy, a throne of grace, by which you are, even as Gentiles, you are now invited. The, surprise, the first surprise was that you're invited. In the Old Covenant, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest, one time per year. But you are now invited. And it's a throne of grace that you are coming to. So you don't have to come with, uh, in a groveling, uh, uh, with your with trembling fashion. When, they, when Moses took the law, according to Hebrews 12, it says, he met God in fear and trembling. How do we meet Him? We are invited to come to Him as Father. I hope you don't meet your Father in fear and trembling. I know some of you well enough to know that your children do not come up to you and say, Oh, Holy One, uh, Most High, Possessor of heaven and earth, <laughs> may I have an allowance. No, it's different. Here's, a, here's another surprise. And that is that in our need, we are told to come confidently or boldly. King James Version says, come boldly to the throne of grace, verse 16. That is an amazing thing to me <clears throat> because especially if you need something 
you don't normally go boldly to somebody. Especially if you're unworthy to receive it. Amen? If you, if you want a bank loan and you know your credit score is in the pits, do you go to your bank boldly? Hey, hallelujah, I just know you're going to grant me this. No, they probably escort you out with a policeman. The surprise here is that we're told in a time of need and unworthiness, otherwise you wouldn't need mercy, right? So it's unworthy, you're unworthy, to come boldly. And why would that be? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22.3 says, There shall be no more curse for the throne of God and the Lamb is in it. There's no curse in the New Jerusalem because the throne of God and the Lamb. The throne has been turned over. Not just, it's not just called the throne of God, but the throne of the Lamb. That's why we can come boldly. Hebrews 10, 19 puts it like this. Brothers, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood. Hallelujah. That's why we can pray. It's been purchased for us. Access, welcome, embracing of the Father has been purchased through the blood. It's a throne of grace. This word that is used here, this last phrase, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need, the word uh, uh, grace to help, the word help, and I chase this down a little bit to see, it's, it's always used in a time of devastation. Two or three instances, a woman has a daughter who's demon-possessed. The daughter's not even able to come. And it says in Matthew 15, 25, this woman came to Jesus, worshipped Him, and said, Lord, my daughter is terribly possessed of a devil. Please help me. The word help is the same exact Greek word used right here. You will find grace and mercy to help The daughter could do nothing for herself. She went to Jesus and said, Lord, help. It's also used of a father in Mark 9.22 who had a suicidal son. It said he would cast himself into the fire and cast himself into the waters. And the father said to Jesus, Lord, if you can do anything, please have compassion and help us. It is usually used of of a situation where the person is so bad that someone else actually has to do the praying for them. Somebody else has to help them. The word help means that which is devastating to you, crushing your heart and causes you to come to God. Now let me just put this in front of you. Um, for some closing thoughts. There was a piece of furniture in the tabernacle. I think it's the closest we get to what Jesus has done. It's called the mercy seat. 
Uh, give me that picture of the mercy seat. It, uh, made out of solid gold. And this is where the high priest would go once a year. He would go in, according to Leviticus 16, and he would sprinkle he, a sacrificed lamb and sprinkle the blood seven times. Y'all remember that story? And, and the seven, I think, represents the full finished atonement that like it's a whole new creation, seven days, a whole new completed work. So he'd sprinkle it seven times. He could go in once a year and do that. And he sprinkled it on that, between those angels, it's called the mercy seat. It's the closest we get to a throne of grace in the Old Testament. That mercy seat had these two angels overlooking it. I think David snuck in there one time and didn't tell anybody, and God didn't kill him. Psalm 91, verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, see, it's secret, it's in the third realm of the Holy of Holies. He abides under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, You are my refuge, my fortress, my God, and He will deliver us from the snare of the fowl and the deadly pestilence. He will cover us with His wings. What wings? The wings of angels. They surround us. If Oh, if they could just, if a believer could just get in there and stay and abide there. He who dwells there. Who could dwell there? And in the new covenant, God has given us the privilege of not just going there, but dwelling there. I talked to some, um, to some young mothers a few months ago. Remember when the Ebola virus was everywhere? I gave them Psalm 91. You dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And there, no pestilence will come. I said, you just get under the shadow of the Almighty. And I, I gave them a prediction. Because they were so scared, they didn't even want to come to church. I said, in six weeks, you'll, you won't even hear about the Ebola virus. And you know what happened? In four weeks, it disappeared from the headlines. There is a place of refuge for the child of God. And, it's, and that mercy seat by which the, only the high priest, and I think David on one or two occasions could sneak in there, uh, that access has been now granted through the blood atonement by Jesus Christ to the believer on a constant, daily basis. Protection and provision, and those angels are fascinated by that. They are amazed. What are they doing there? Remember, that's a picture of what's going on in the uh, invisible realm. Here, here's what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1. He says, We announce to you through the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things unto which the angels long to look. They are fascinated. What does he mean here in 1 Peter 1.12 when he says, These are things which into which angels long to look. 
They study it. They're amazed by it. They linger. What are those things? The previous verse tells you. They, the indicating the predictions of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. His death and His resurrection. They are amazed by that. They are amazed by that which we sometimes take for granted. There is a prediction, and I, I think we have this, Jeremiah 3.16. I want to give you this. This is a wonderful statement from Jeremiah. Look at, now this is after the exile. Jeremiah is talking about an event. The exile happened around uh, 600 years before Christ. Babylonians came in, captured the uh, Jews, and the Israelites, tore down the temple and uh, took the Israelites off to Babylon. But Jeremiah said in 70 years they will come back. So about 500 B.C. they all began to come back under Ezra and Nehemiah. So you all probably know most of that story. And they rebuilt the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and they remade the menorah and the candles and the altar and reestablished sacrifices and they, the whole, whole thing you read about in the Old Testament. But here's what Jeremiah says about the most important thing. It was the first item in the furniture. It says, in those days... Uh, after the exile and return, declares the Lord, they will no more say the Ark of the Covenant. It will not come to mind, it will not be remembered, and it will not be missed. And it will not be made again. After the exile, Jeremiah said, you're not going to remake the Ark. Y'all remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? They were looking for the Ark. It was destroyed in the exile, melted down. The gold was melted down. Nebuchadnezzar spent it. And it was never made again. You, you don't read anything about the Ark of the Covenant in the return, in the prophets when they return. But the, this is a reference that says it's never going to be missed. Has anybody this week longed for the Ark of the Covenant? Has anybody thought, you know what I miss? I just wish one time I could go before the Ark of the Covenant. No, we don't think like that. Why? Because there's been this wonderful transformation of the covenants between old and new, and now we have the Lord Jesus, who in His death and resurrection has become our mercy seat. Let me give you one other verse. In John chapter 20 and verse 12, Mary has come to weep at the tomb of Jesus. And she notices that the stone has been moved back. And she looks inside. And here's what John 20 verse 12 says. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. You want to know where the Ark of the Covenant is today? It's in Jesus. There's the new Ark of the Covenant. and There's the angels staring down. Get the picture here. 
Because when the resurrection happened, they were there watching, guarding the body of Jesus. And then he, because they were shocked. This is the Son of God. And they were transfixed throughout the night. But when the resurrection happened, they didn't even leave with him. They were amazed. And they just stayed and they longed to look into. 1 Peter 1.12 They wanted to study this some more. And in so doing, they give to us this image of the Ark of the Covenant, which is in Jesus. That, that atonement and resurrection into heaven has given us an access and a priesthood and a mediation and an introduction and a channel through which we can go straight to God. We are welcomed, we are embraced, and we can find help in time of need. And so you ought to come boldly. Dave, I'm going to ask you to come and and play uh, softly for us in the background. We have an altar here. And one of the privileges that we have as believers is that we can come and as he puts it here in Hebrews 4, find grace to help in time of need. And here's what I want to ask you. Do you have a need? Does it crush your heart? If that is so, I want you to feel free to come to God through Christ, bowing before the mercy seat. It is your blood-bought privilege to bring that broken heart to God. Maybe you don't have a broken heart. Maybe somebody else has a broken heart. And you're like the mother who's coming for the daughter or the father or for the son. But you, you need this morning to come and pray. Would you stand... And let's just take a few minutes and give each of you time to come today for prayer. Dave, play for us, sing for us, whatever you'd like to do there. And and let's just wait a few moments for people to come and pray and kneel and bring their need to God. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, We just bow before you right now. Each of us with our own needs. And we come to ask for your help. Anyone who would like to come, we want to invite you to do so. It is your blood-bought privilege to come. You might even need to come pray for on behalf of someone else. The blood atonement has given you a mercy seat 
Maybe you need to come and like Psalm 91, pray for protection under the shadow of His wings. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91.4 He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that walks in darkness or destruction that brings waste at noon. A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come near to you. While Dave is singing, anyone else want to come and pray this morning? Let's wait. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil is, will befall you, no plague will come near your tent, for He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and in your, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Those are awesome, awesome promises from those who abide in the shelter of the Most High. That means to abide under Him constantly in prayer, breathing out in your conversations to Him daily. That's what we want. Does anyone else want to come and pray before we close? Bringing our need to God.
What a great privilege that we have. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you today for the awesome price that was paid, the atonement that was made, so that we can come with continued access and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you that angels are around us even now and that they protect us and hold us up and keep us from things we don't even know many times. But we praise you for the throne of grace. And we are before you today asking for your help. Throughout this week, uh, throughout the remainder of this day, grant your powerful presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.